Hi there, it's such a privilege to be sharing with you on this powerful subject today, the omniscience of God, the omniscience of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you are our teacher. We thank you for what you're opening up us for today. We thank you, God, that you want to teach us your ways. You want to teach us your word. And we are so open to you. Come and transform us. Come and give us revelation on this powerful subject. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The omniscience of God. Omniscience is the state of knowing everything. God knows everything. It actually comes from the Latin omni, which means all or every. And then the word skiens in the Latin, which means to know or to be conscious of. So this attribute only belongs to God. It belongs only to God. And you see, God's knowledge and his understanding is limitless. And when we have this revelation, it literally transforms our lives. You see, he doesn't just know everything, but he has unlimited wisdom. He doesn't just know everything, but he has unlimited wisdom. Think about that. You see, this means that the application of his knowledge in every single situation is perfect. His knowledge is both immense. In other words, he's got lots of detail, all right, with regards to whatever thing it is, right? So his knowledge is both immense and at the same time, it's also universal. It's also universal. So he knows me at an in-depth level, but he also knows everything else in all of creation at that in-depth level. His knowledge is not just limited to one corner of the universe. I think that is so powerful. You see, God's knowledge is so widespread. It includes every corner of the universe, every person, every animal, every atom, every molecule that has ever been created, that has ever existed. God knows about the future just as well as he knows about the past. You know, sometimes we've got this thing where we think that God is wondering about our future just like we are. No. He knows everything about the future. In fact, for God, to him, everything is present tense. He's the I am. He's not the I was. He's not the I will be. So in summary, when we say God is omniscient, we're actually saying that God knows everything perfectly, exhaustively, and absolutely. This is so important. God knows everything perfectly, exhaustively, and absolutely. And when we have this revelation, it actually impacts how we pray. It impacts our level of peace, especially as believers. In the book of Psalms 147 verse 5, it says, Great is our Lord and mighty is his power. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. His understanding has no limit. Imagine we're able to commune with a being whose understanding has no limit. He doesn't just know everything. He understands everything, including you, including me. In Hebrews 4, 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
You see, the fact that God is omniscient is an encouragement and it's also comforting to those of us who believe. However, for the unbelievers, it is potentially a very daunting thought. You see, the world will have to give account to God. All of us will have to. Perhaps you're concerned about politicians and demagogues getting away with corruption, getting away with murder. But remember that God sees all things. And that's quite daunting for someone who hasn't yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I like this powerful thing that was stated by A.W. Pink. Men would strip deity of his omniscience if they could. What a proof that the carnal mind is enmity against God. Romans 8 verse 7. The wicked do as naturally hate this divine perfection as much as they are naturally compelled to acknowledge it. They wish there might be no witness of their sins, no searcher of their hearts, no judge of their deeds. They seek to banish such a God from their thoughts. But they can't really, can they? So sadly, instead of fully acknowledging that God knows all things and he's omniscient, we often think we know better than God. We don't like to admit it, but sometimes we act like we know better than him. But we only see in part. And it's so important to understand this attribute of God, his omniscience, whilst at the same time acknowledging our own frailty. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 to 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now, this is God speaking. This is not an act of worship where someone is just saying, Oh, your thoughts are amazing, God. Right? This is God himself speaking. And he says, Guys, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God wants us to acknowledge this fact that his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding is way higher than ours. We see in part, but he is omniscient. He knows all things. His knowledge is immense, perfectly immense, and it's also universal. I like what Tom Wells said when he wrote about a vision for missions. He said, youth is a time, is the time when all seems to be within the grasp of the careful student. I have left that time behind. I don't know is on my lips more often now, but so also is God knows. Not as a thoughtless expression in conversation, but as the conviction of my heart. I don't know. But God knows. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that it's when we have this understanding that we come to him as the source of all wisdom and the source of all knowledge. And then he blesses us with more wisdom and more knowledge. Just look how Daniel, the prophet Daniel, had so much revelation, yet he acknowledged that God was the source of it. And this type of humility is very different to the pride that we see today. You know, when people get a bit of revelation or a bit of insight and they become the retrospective prophet, you know, I knew it was going to happen. Oh, I knew. And we become so proud. Isn't it unattractive? And yet look how Daniel knew so much. 
yet he relied on God, who he knew knew all things. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 to 23, he's just been asked to interpret uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and look what he does. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. So he operated in a team environment. He didn't think he knew all things. He had that humility to say, hey guys, we need to go to the Lord. So he shared this matter with his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Lord, we need your mercy if we're going to tap into your mysteries so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And what was his response? Oh, I'm so clever. Hey, guys, check me out. This is what the Lord showed me. Thanks for the prayer support, but in actual fact, God revealed it to me. No, he didn't. It says, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise. So he's not selfish with his wisdom. And knowledge to the discerning. He's not stingy with his omniscience. He shares his knowledge. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Isn't God so good when we acknowledge our frailty and our lack of knowledge and our lack of wisdom? That's when he gives us more wisdom. That's when he gives us more knowledge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Chapter 13, verse 9, it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. There's no great prophet that knows everything. Have a look at it in the NLT, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9. It says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. You know those people who act like their knowledge is not incomplete? When they, they act like they're the only ones who have this corner of on this particular topic they just know everything no now our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture we need to understand that you know even the greatest prophet on earth right now is called to be interdependent that's just how god has designed it it's called to interdependence we all see in part and only God is omniscient. But when we come to him with that posture of humility, he reveals his mysteries to us. Isn't that awesome? I like what uh, Jennifer Lee Carroll, an author, said, Omniscience is an excellent quality in God, but suspect in everyone else. Isn't it true? It's an attractive quality. It's an excellent quality when it comes to God. But when people start acting like they are the ones who are omniscient, hmm, suspect. Now, having said all of this, it's important that we appreciate God's generosity and that we understand his omniscience in the context of his generosity and his goodness. He's not selfish with his knowledge, 
but he seeks to reveal mysteries to us. And this is interesting to me because with all of these attributes of God, although we are not perfectly that, he wants to share with us dimensions of his attributes. So he says, be holy as I am holy. Love one another as I have first loved you. Do you see that? And so remember that his omniscience must be understood in the context of his love and his generosity. The fact that God is omniscient works to my advantage because he's my father and is generous with what he knows and what he understands. And this is actually why God gives us prophetic gifts, right? And this is why he gives us the gift of discerning of spirits, right? Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, it says, To another, miraculous powers are given. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. So God's heart is to reveal mysteries to us. In John chapter 2, 23 to 25, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. Why? For he knew all men. He knew our hearts. He knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now Jesus came as a man fully anointed by the Spirit. Remember, he was fully God and fully man, right? And he came as a man anointed by the Spirit and expects us to also operate like he did, okay? He knew the heart of man. And from time to time, God will reveal to us what's in the heart of man so that we're protected. You see, as we grow in things of the Spirit, this is also something we can walk in. God grants us this ability to protect us from wicked hearts. I want to encourage you, acknowledge the omniscience of God and at the same time acknowledge his generosity with his knowledge. You know that we've been given the mind of Christ, the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 16, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts? accepts their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And here's the big but but we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So while we acknowledge his omniscience, we also receive this thing that comes to us as born again believers, born of the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. We receive this gift that we now have the mind of Christ and that he gives us insight into his mysteries. I want to encourage you to tap into this, but do it from a place of humility. You know, the Bible is so clear that God loves to reveal things to his children. He 
He loves to reveal things to his children. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, I've shared with you all these things. I no longer call you servants, but now I've called you friends because I've shared with you all that the Father has shared with me. Isn't that powerful? You can see his longing to just communicate and share with them more and more things. I've got much to say to you about the kingdom, you know. Um, Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. In other words, those who are humble before God, those who are childlike, they are the ones who receive from heaven these mysteries, not those who are wise in their own might, not those who think they're clued up, but they're actually clueless. In the book of Psalms 25, verse 14, it says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Some translations, I like it in the NKJV. It says in the New King James, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. So can you see the qualifier as we go to him in brokenness, in humility, acknowledging our own lack of wisdom, our frailty, acknowledging his omniscience, he reveals mysteries to us. So there are two keys that we've already established so far when it comes to tapping into this knowledge. The first one is childlike humility. And the second one is walking in the fear of the Lord. And as a result of this, I have prophetic advantage. You have prophetic advantage because God is generous with his knowledge. I want to encourage you tap into this when it comes to decision making, maybe around your marriage maybe around business partnerships, maybe around investments. God knows all things. You have prophetic advantage. You know, God's omniscience means a number of things, means a number of things. And I want to just cover a few, okay? About four or so, I want to cover them. There's so many more, but in terms of how it translates to our everyday life, the fact that God is omniscient, okay, translates in four major areas. The first is that God knows everything about me. God knows everything about me, okay? You're as spiritual as your thoughts, and I keep saying this. In other words, he knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. So, so if you have bad thoughts or lustful thoughts, don't think, oh, it's, not a, it's not a problem. I, I just, I, I, it was just a thought, okay? Because to God, it's not just a thought. God knows your thoughts. You are as spiritual as your thoughts. You can be vulnerable before God instead of always putting your best foot forward. You can say, oh, Lord, you know what? This is the state of my mind right now because he already knows anyway. He already knows anyway. Have you noticed it's easier to be open with someone who knows everything about you already? But you see, sometimes we treat God, especially in our prayer lives, as if we are the ones confessing it because he doesn't know. No, we confess for our own sake, Okay. Not like we're informing him. You know, sometimes in prayer meetings, people get into this mode where they're now explaining things to God, you know, telling God things that he already knows. So he knows all your unconfessed sin already. He's familiar with the motives of your heart. Even when you've managed to delude other people, you can't delude him. In 1 John 3, 20, it says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. In the book of Psalms, I love this, Psalm 139, verses 1 through to 4. I'll start there. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. 
In other words, that seems like it's an arbitrary thing that you're doing. You know, think of how many times in the course of a day you just sit down and you get up, sit down and you get up. But guess what? God knows. Oh, he's getting up now. Oh, he's sitting down. Here he is running the whole universe, but he knows when you're getting up, when you're sitting down. You perceive my thoughts from afar. I've seen this happening in my life where sometimes I'll just have a desire and I'll just have a little wish. I'm driving along and I'll just think, oh, that would be nice. And then that gets answered. It comes through. It wasn't even a prayer. It was a subtle thought I had. And then when the thing happens, I'm like, this is getting freaky now. Okay. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You know, and the imagery here, it's like, have you ever had it when you want to say something and you don't have the words to say it? You know, sometimes I'll talk to people and they're like, don't know what the English word is. I'm not too sure. And you don't quite have the word. And someone who knows you really well knows exactly what you're trying to say. Or maybe sometimes you, you, you mumble up your words and you say the wrong thing and it was grammatically incorrect. But the person, maybe your spouse or a sibling, they know what you meant anyway because they know you so well. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Then we go on to verses 13 through to 17. For you created my innermost being. Oh, isn't this powerful? You created my innermost being. In other words, you didn't just create my physical body. You also created my soul. You also gave me the intellect that I have. You also gave me the emotions that I have. You also gave them to me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And when you study the meaning of those words, it basically means he took great care when he made you. He was precise when he made you. And he did it with a purpose in mind. And goes on to say, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Again, this is powerful because... He was involved in your embryonic stage. He was involved at every stage. In terms of your uh, genetic, the distribution of the genes, how much of your dad would be there, your mom, your grandfather, your grandmother, what he wanted to include there. He was involved in that. So when you react to situations, when you have certain desires, he's fully acquainted with them because he's the one who put in that genetic mix. Goes on to say in verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is very significant. God knew you before you existed. God knew you before you were formed. God knew you. You came out of his knowledge this is so important. And in verse 17, it says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Why are they vast? Because he has thought around every single detail of the universe and every single circumstance and situation that you find yourself in. That's the nature of his omniscience. See, God was intimately involved in creating us. He was involved at that embryonic stage. 
and he was fully aware of the genetic allocation that he wanted for us. And this is why he understands all my anecdotal behavior, all my proclivities. The interesting thing is that in addition to this, he already knew me before I even existed. And this is what I want to say. We know things because they exist. But from God's vantage point, things exist because he knew those things. You see, I know my surroundings because I've seen my surroundings. I rely on my senses, right? Sight, hearing. Even when it comes to my intuition, often it's based on experience. And there's a sense of, oh, when I come into contact with this person or this situation, this is what I know. But guess what? God doesn't have to see it to know it. He already knew it. And that's why earlier on in uh, Psalms 139, it basically says, same diffs to God, darkness and light. It's the same for him. He doesn't know less because it's dark. <laughs> okay. Darkness and light, it's the same for him. And my wife likes to meditate on that particular part, portion of um, Psalm 139. If she has to do night riding, if she's training for these uh, endurance cycles. Okay. There she is with her torch and she's cycling and so on. Right. Darkness and light, no difference for God, okay? Because he is light. Everything that exists stems from his knowledge and not the other way around. Not the other way around. And it's important to understand that. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Remember that thought is speech before God. He sees all things. He hears all things. He knows the details of my life, good and bad if I've done some good things behind the scenes and I haven't been acknowledged, he sees it and he will reward me based on that. In Matthew 10 verse 30, it says, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Jesus here is trying to communicate God's omniscience. There's nothing insignificant in your life from God's vantage point. He notices it all. And you see, when we have this revelation, there's no room for loneliness because we know that we have him. You know, knowing this should actually encourage us. It should actually comfort us. When we're trusting God for healing, he's well acquainted with every detail of our physical bodies. And he understands thoroughly what is happening to our bodies. And you know, this revelation has actually affected how I pray when I'm praying for the sick. Just having that understanding that, you know what? He knows every molecule, every atom. He's the one who put the body together so carefully, so intricately. And he can actually reveal to us where things are going wrong. It affects how we pray. And in addition to this, God is also so aware of what's happening to me at an emotional level. At an emotional level, he's aware of my pain. He's aware of my anguish, the Bible says. I still remember in 1998 being in a situation where I was in Grahamstown at the time and I was lying on my bed. I was trying to fall asleep just in a relaxed state and I was lying on my bed and my bed was against the wall. You know, the pillow was right where the wall was. And I still remember just having this knowing that I need to get up and switch the lights on. There's something I need to see. I was in some kind of danger. I just had it as a knowing. And I remember getting up. Now, who feels like doing that when you're trying to fall asleep? And I get up and I had to go right to where the door was. I didn't have a side uh, lamp or anything. And I switched on the light. 
And just above where my pillow was, I see this big, hairy spider. It would have just been above my head. Now, how could I have known that? But you see, God, who's running the universe, who's the Lord Almighty, who's all-powerful, who's omniscient, he knew what was going on in my room. And he was able to give me a portion of that knowledge supernaturally in however, whatever way he did it. I didn't see writing on the wall saying, get up. I just knew I needed to get up. I don't know what name that spider has, but it just looked lethal. You know, those big, hairy, black spiders. And it was just above where my head was. So his omniscience was such that he knew what was going on in my room that night. I might think, but he's too busy for me. He's running the universe. He's answering some of those powerful prayer warriors' prayers. But you see, he's not like me. As a father, I might miss a goal when I'm watching my kids playing soccer. You know, I'm watching them playing football and I'm, I'm on the phone or I'm talking to my wife or talking to someone else, one of the other parents. I remember one time Jaden then came and said, so dad, did you see my goals? And he's saying goals, plural. And I'm thinking, I only saw one of them. And you know when you get in trouble, right, for that. I've had times when I'm watching my kids and it's a swimming gala and I'm caught up in a conversation and so on and I just see, oh, he's now wet and he's coming and he seems to have done quite well, but I missed it. God doesn't miss it. God doesn't miss anything in your life. Nothing is hidden from his sight. So he knows everything about me. That's his omniscience. The second thing I want to share with you about his omniscience is that God knows of things to come. And this is so, so important. In Isaiah 46 verses 9 to 10, it says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. That's his otherness that he's asserting. Verse 10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So he begins with the end in mind. That's just his mindset, okay? He's in the future already. And the implication of this is that he might not answer your prayers in the way that you thought he would because he knows impending disaster and he can protect you from it. Look at the information he gave Paul in the storm in Acts 27, 9 through to 15. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. So God revealed this to Paul the apostle and God wants to reveal things from his omniscience to you. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. So these are people who are functioning in the natural. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on. How many of you know that the majority is often very wrong? Hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. 
Okay, so they experienced some kind of shipwreck. In Acts 27, 20, 21 through to 26, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. God is already in your future. Okay? But now I urge you to keep up your courage. He was operating in the love of God. Not just the knowledge of God, but the love of God. To keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Isn't God so gracious? Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. God who I serve, right? God who I belong to. I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God had, has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Isn't that awesome? Verse 25. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So can you see what happened here? God revealed to him what was going to happen in terms of the storm, right? It didn't necessarily say, cool, it's fine. The storm will just stop. Okay. Sometimes he shows us impending danger and he shows us how to avoid it. Nevertheless, the people didn't listen to him, but he still had an angel come to him and basically give him more information. God is gracious in this way. And he, we, when we tap into his foresight, he's, it's not really foresight to him because he's already in the future, but it's foresight for us, right? Um, it actually protects us. In Amos 3, verse 7, it says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophet, the prophets. This is such a powerful scripture for me. You see, although God is sovereign, it describes him there as the sovereign Lord. Although he's sovereign, he has chosen to work together with his servants. If he wanted, he could have just done his own thing by himself. And when you look at that word that we translate into sovereign Lord, okay, it's actually the word Adonai, Adonai Yahweh, right? Lord God. So it's not just saying Yahweh. Yahweh does nothing without revealing his plan. It's basically saying Lord God, Lord Yahweh, Lord Master. That's what Adonai is. In fact, Adonai is plural. Right? It's called an emphatic plural. It's trying to emphasize his lordship. It's trying to emphasize his sovereignty. It's basically lords. If it was Adon, that would be lord. But Adonai is lords. Okay? Even though we know God is one God, but it's emphasizing his lordship. Right? Adonai Yahweh, Lord God. Lord God. Lord God does nothing without revealing his plans first to his prophets. He's chosen to do that despite his sovereignty. I think that's awesome. The third thing I want to share with you about his omniscience is that God rewards and God promotes me based on his knowledge of my inner life. God rewards and promotes based on his knowledge of your inner life. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know every human heart. God will reward you based on his knowledge of your inner life. 
in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, when the apostles had to replace Judas and they were looking for a replacement, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Not Lord, you know everyone's deeds. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these, which of these two have you chosen? Again, very powerful. He knows the state of our hearts and he promotes us or demotes us based on our heart condition. You know, as we work with people, as we raise up leaders, we actually need to rely so much on God because he knows the hearts of men and women. And Jeremiah 17 verse 10 actually states this so clearly. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Now that's in depth to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. You might do things with wrong motives. Other people might not see it. In fact, they might come and they might praise you. But guess what? Your reward will be based on your heart motive, not just on what you did. And then the fourth thing about the omniscience of God that I want to share with you as an implication for us is that God knows the hearts of others who might want to engage with me. So important. He knows their heart. He wants us to be able to see beneath the smiles, but he knows what's beneath the smiles. In John 2 verse 24, it says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. And I shared with you that scripture earlier on, but it's important to understand this. And that's why sometimes when you're making decisions concerning a business partnership or even uh, who to get married to, Rely on his omniscience, tap into it, and he can reveal to you what's in the hearts of people. In the book of Psalms 44, verses 20 through to 21, if we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, you will be found, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Isn't that interesting? He searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought, and that will end up protecting you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your abundant knowledge, your perfect wisdom, and we receive a portion of that because we know that you're generous with your mysteries, you're generous with your knowledge. But we acknowledge, Lord, in worship right now that you know all things and that you're not surprised by the future because you're already there. And so we seek comfort in this, Lord. Father, may this result in more and more of the fear of the Lord operating in our lives. We open our hearts to you and we say, come and have your way. Come and give us understanding and come and comfort us with this knowledge. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.